0: Good morning, if you'll open your Bibles this morning to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You know, as a pastor, you do a lot of things uh, during the week, and one of the great things that you get to do is sometimes just sit at a funeral and It's sorrowful, but yet for a believer, it's a time of rejoicing. And this past week, uh, Janelle Sheehan passed away, and she'd been a member of this church for how many years? 83? Isn't that amazing? 83 years, and just hearing Rob just telling about her faithfulness to the Lord, and her husband's kind of a newcomer to the church. He's only been here for what, 70, maybe 70 years, something like that. He's still a newbie, but um, it's just incredible, and that's to the glory of Christ, and that He kept her. And he, seeing her love for the Word displayed through her life uh, was was remarkable to the glory of God. But we are very sad, um, but yet also rejoicing that she is with her Savior now. Um, Second Corinthians, we are uh, we are doing a three part series on the glory of Christ. And the reason that we're doing that is because for the last year or so, as elders, we've been working on vision and direction and what are we asking God to do in the life of this church. And you'll hear more about that next week. So we're, we're preaching that in, in three different parts. Now, last week we were just in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 16 to 18. This Sunday we're going to bounce around, probably more than I've, you've ever seen me do. Um, from 1 Corinthians 13, 2 Corinthians 5, and various places. So here's just a touch of, of background for you. Your, things we said last week. Your, your greatest need is to see, know, and enjoy the glory of Christ. You will only understand the Scriptures to the extent that you understand who Christ is. And to the extent that you don't know or understand the glory of Christ as a believer, your life will be filled in one form or another with coldness and sometimes spiritual darkness. Now, what do I mean by the glory of Christ? Well, it is the glory or the greatness of God revealed to us through His Son, Christ. And knowing Christ... And experiencing that through the power of the Holy Spirit is what changes and transforms a believer. Now last time we said your greatest need is beholding and knowing the greatness of Christ. And we said that that God's given us these wonderful windows, hasn't he? Which we call the means of grace. The word and worship and prayer and sacraments and fellowship. These are all windows that we experience the light or the glory of Christ through. Now today, you might be asking, okay, so how do I behold the glory of Christ more? And the answer we're going to see today is it's by faith now in this life, and it's by sight in eternity. It's by faith in this life, and it's by sight in eternity. So let me just read 2 Corinthians 5.7. 5, 5.7. 5, I'll start at verse six. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk, for we walk by faith. And not by sight. Let's pray for our time. Heavenly Father, we uh, we thank you so much that. You are God of mercy, compassion, and grace. And like we saw in Isaiah 48, you do all things for your glory, and yet at the same time, you love us deeply and are committed to us so much to send your own Son, to enter the brokenness and the sin of our world, to bring light and truth and redemption, and then to draw us to yourself individually by the Holy Spirit. God, we praise you, and we want to know more about this so that we have a new song to sing and worship you with. God, let your Holy Spirit take Christ and give us eyes to see and ears to hear and behold more of who he is and what he's done for us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So there are two ways that we're going to behold Christ. In this life, he's not physically with us, is he? So we behold his greatness by faith. But there will be a time that he will be with us physically, and then we will behold him by sight. There was a soldier years ago who was fighting World War II from Alabama, from North Alabama. And this soldier became the captain of a PT boat. He'd been fighting for several years. He was wounded in battle He'd seen so many of his men die around him, and he himself was tired, and he was worn out. And in one particular outing, a large Japanese destroyer chased his small PT boat into a bay in the Philippines, where they were cruising. And they were forced to flee their boat, and before they did, they radioed ahead, and there happened to be an American ship coming by. But it was around a 22 to 24-hour run to get there because the ship was coming and moving quickly. And it would be a long time before another ship came by. So the captain loaded up food and supplies. He loaded up all of his letters from his wife, Betty, and his pictures of his daughter, Anne, and off they went. He said it was a grueling trip that they had to run almost the entire way through thick jungle. After about 15 hours, he felt exhausted But he remembered his wife and his daughter, how much he loved them, what their life would be like if he quit. So he kept going. In about 20 hours, men started dropping like flies left and right. But the captain kept going, thinking only of his family, hoping to see them again. When the American boat arrived on the other side of the tiny island in the Philippines, there was a small group of exhausted soldiers waiting there to get on board. Now, the reason that these men made it was because they were under the influence of faith. By faith, they took hold of the promise that the boat would be there, that their family would be waiting And so they lived and they ran by faith. And when they arrived home, their faith then was replaced by sight. As they saw their families for the first time. They were motivated by the same object. The love of their families. The promise of the boat coming. First by faith as they did not see it. And then by sight when they did. That's how the gospel describes our relationship with Christ and our motivation. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 6 and 7, these are the two great spiritual powers in our souls. Faith in Christ in this life and sight of Christ in eternity. And I would say that all of our present comfort as Christians starts with beholding the glory and the greatness of Christ through the power of the Spirit by faith. In heaven, all of our future blessings consist in beholding the glory of sight of Christ by sight and then being changed. Notice though this. It is knowing and it's beholding and experiencing the greatness of Jesus that changes the believer. By faith now we look and by sight forever in eternity. But it is always Christ that changes us. Now, no person will behold the glory of Christ in heaven who does not believe and behold the glory of Christ now by faith through the Spirit. Okay, Rusty, so you say, um, how important is that? Well, Satan's greatest work in the world and in your life is to blind people, to keep them veiled, like we talked about last week, from seeing and beholding the greatness of Christ. It means to keep the world from knowing Christ is His work. To keep them from knowing the hope He gives, the grace He offers to broken and hurting people, the power He has to transform our life. Where does that come from? Well, one of the places is 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. If you're looking at your scriptures with me. 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Sometimes we have this image of Satan as a, as a boogeyman, don't we? When I go out late at night, he's going to be waiting to scare me. Or something like that. But Scripture says His greatest work in the world is to keep them from seeing and understanding who Christ is or the condition of our own heart and our need for Him. So He keeps man from seeing our own heart, how we've broken God's laws, how we need a Redeemer, how we need real transformation. And then at the same time, he keeps us from beholding Christ, who he is, the God-revealer, that he is the Son of God, that he is the one who actually carried and died for me in my sins, that he is not just a, a created angel or just a prophet or a wise man, but he is eternally God. And that is his work primarily in the world, in the life of the believer and in the life of the non-believer. So in your life, He will do the same. His great goal is to keep you from experiencing the greatness, the power of the life, death, and resurrection and ongoing work through the Spirit and Word of Christ. Satan doesn't want you to see Christ as all-powerful, all-loving. His grace is all-sufficient for when you struggle, all-wise. Because if you do, your life will be radically transformed as you look to him for all your needs and worship because of the joy you experience and the greatness of God you experience. Satan says, look elsewhere for help, for hope, for change, thus keeping people from God and knowing what transforms us with his Christ and his glory. Now, here's the main idea then this morning is that all our present comfort and future blessings come from beholding the glory of Christ. All of, as a believer. Now, I'm not saying McDonald's doesn't give you some pleasure and some comfort. Or maybe Chick-fil-A and Dothan, right? But all our present comfort spiritually and future blessings come from one source. Beholding the glory of Christ. Now, let's look at this in two ways. First is the view of Christ in this world by faith, and then the second is the view of Christ in eternity by sight, because that's how Paul breaks it up. Okay? Look at 2 Corinthians 4, 3, and 6. Okay? You there? 2 Corinthians 4, 3, and 6. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. Okay, now skip down. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The world cannot see or know God's glory because of their sin and because of his holiness. And when we come to Christ by faith, he says, like we read last time, the veil is removed. So now we we can see him, we can know him with eyes of faith. And notice those words there in verse 6. He has shown in our heart. And he's picking up on the language of the transfiguration, where, where the apostles saw the glory of Christ. Or with Paul on Damascus Road, where he saw an amazing light. Or in John in the book of Revelations where he saw, and he uses that same language to describe your conversion. He says he's shown in our hearts. The first work of the Spirit begins with light and truth. He opens our eyes. He shows truth into our heart. And what is that light? It is the knowledge of who Christ is. Who he is and what he's done for us. The Spirit removes our veil. This is part of what we call being born again. Suddenly you see and understand who Jesus is. Colossians 3.10 The new man is renewed in knowledge. A knowledge of who God is. A relational intimacy. Let me say it like this. You can grow in knowledge with God without ever growing in grace, right? You get that. You know a lot of people who know a lot of things about God and you see no grace in their life. They're hard, they're cold, they're not loving, right? You can grow in knowledge without growing in grace, but you will never grow in the grace of Christ without growing in an intimate relational knowledge, knowing of who He is. In other words, you will never grow in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, gentleness, without growing in an intimate knowing and experiencing the greatness and the glory of Christ. Most of our personal struggles come because we stop growing as believers. We stop beholding and exploring, knowing Christ and His glory. John Flavel, the old Puritan, says it like this. As Christ is the door that opens salvation, so knowledge is the key that opens Christ. Growing in an intimate, relational knowledge of Christ is where the grace to be like Him comes from. Now, I want you to imagine that you've got a friend who's blind, and you're on holiday together in Spain. And you're walking down a small back street, and you come across, On a soccer field. And you see two great players there. It's Ronaldo and Messi. Two best players in the world. Okay? And you sit down to watch. And your friend sits down with you. And they're having a little competition. They're having a crossbar challenge. Which means they're seeing who can hit the crossbar on the goal the most times. They're having juggling competitions. They're having long strike competitions and it's amazing you you're watching the two best players in the game and at the end Ronaldo says to Messi "Ah, okay you win lunch is on me this time and they walk out and you turn to your friend and say that's the most amazing thing I've ever seen what did you think And your friend who's blind says, I don't think anything. I think I'm hungry and ready to go to lunch. I didn't see anything. I've just been sitting here. This is the greatest thing that separates the believer from the non-believer. The Holy Spirit has shown in your heart to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of Christ. You have eyes to see, ears to hear who Jesus is, and you believe. You see and know He is the Son of God who died and rose again for you. And the non-believer does not see that. And therefore, they don't want to worship. Now, let's look at the view. 1 Corinthians 13.12. Turn there with me. 1 Corinthians 13.12. Okay, Rusty, I see. I get it. I've got eyes to see. He's shown in my heart. He's transformed me. What's my view? 1 Corinthians 13, 12. Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So, In this life, we behold Christ as in a mirror. And that means several things. Their mirrors were not like our mirrors. So don't think of mirrors that give a perfect reflection. That's not what's being described here. The first century mirror gave a very dim and rough reflection. And so he's saying we know Christ imperfectly. Right? And, And he says that. I know him in part. Though it is a dim view compared to the real thing, we know Christ by faith in this life. So in this life, we walk by faith. Now, why impart? Okay, Rusty, why impart Acts 26, 13, and 14? Flip there with me. Acts 26, 13, and 14. Acts 26, 13, and 14. And this is Paul, and he's declaring his conversion. This is what he says. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Why in part? Because His glory is too great for our sinful condition. Think about the Apostle John who leaned upon Jesus' chest, who was the closest to Him personally. And when Christ appears to him in Revelation 1.17, it says He fell at His feet as dead. When he appeared to Paul, all Paul could say is, I saw a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun and everybody fell on the ground. In this life, we are fit to only have his presence with us by spirit. And we know him through faith by his spirit. So think about it like this. Think about the sun. It is bright, it's radiant, it's glorious, and it's hot. So much so that we cannot look at it in our present condition or get anywhere close to it. But there is one day that we can look at it, right? During an eclipse. When it is under a total eclipse, it loses nothing of its beauty, its light, its glory, but it's kept from us. And only then can we actually see it and behold it. So it is with Christ. Christ took on flesh. He veiled in many ways the glory he had to become man. And now, as his followers, we see him in part by faith through the power of the Spirit and the Word. Okay, that's this life Spirit and Word. But there's more. Here's point two the view from heaven by sight, by sight. 1 John 3.2 in your Bibles. 1 John 3.2, please. If you'll flip there with me. We kind of sound like a Baptist congregation flipping all these pages this morning, don't we? Okay, 1 John 3.2. Just notice those words. We shall see Him as He is. 1 Corinthians 13, 12. Then face to face. The greatest part of heaven will be to see and experience Christ as who He is in His glory. There will be no more faith, no more Bible, but we will see Him face to face. Let me read you 1 Corinthians 13, 12. Then I shall know fully as I am fully known. 1 John 3, 2. What we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we will be like Him. Being in Christ's glory will not destroy our faith, our grace, our hope, our love. It will perfect them so that we shall have full faith in Christ, experience full grace and victory, know hope fully, know His love fully. The light of Christ Perfectly transforms us into the likeness of Christ when we come into His presence. Now, that's His desire for you. Last place I'm going to ask you to flip John 17, verse 4 to 5. I want you to see before Christ goes to the cross what He prays for. John 17, verse 4 to 5. And then verse 24. Notice what he says. Verse 4 to 5. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Now, verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. Listen, the last thing here that Christ prays for His people for you is what's best for you. He prays, Lord, return me to my glory. And then He prays three things for you. Verse 21, be unified. I pray for one church. Then, to be satisfied that they may have my joy. Lastly, verse 24, that you may see his glory. Listen, he is praying for his greatest blessing upon your life. Return me to glory and your blessing. Let them experience my glory. And in doing that, we are eternally changed to be like him. Now, I hear all the time, Will heaven be a boring place? I want to give you Jonathan Edwards' description of heaven. Edwards describes heaven as a continent that's never been discovered. And you pull your boat in and you land on the sandy beach. And every day you go deeper and you go further in and you see and experience amazing things that you didn't know were there. And you know what you do in response? You praise and you worship. This is amazing. Lizards as big as antelopes. You go further and further and you see more and wonderful things that you didn't see the day before. One day you see amazing valleys full of deer and antelope that have never been seen by you. The next day snow-capped peaks. The next day marshes full of exotic birds and amazing fish species. And every day brings something new for eternity. Beholding the glory of Christ will in many ways be like that. The windows we talked about last week are gone. Every day will bring new reasons to praise and worship and enjoy and stand in awe of Him. It will not be boring. How do we think and live this? Okay, Rusty, I understand what you're saying. We, we see Christ not perfectly in this sight, by, in this world, by, by faith through word and spirit. In eternity, we will see Christ by sight and be transformed. How do we think and live this? How does that change and affect the way you live this week? Well, no person will ever behold the glory of Christ by sight who does not now know Christ by faith in this life. Knowing the grace of Christ is necessary to knowing the glory of Christ, for eternity. If your life life is not resting on grace, on the work of Christ, then it will never partake of the glory of God in a vision in heaven. So in this life, the heart of a Christian who knows the greatness of Christ is no longer quiet. It wants to praise and exalt Him. It can no longer be satisfied with the things of the world. It wants more, and it looks for that in Christ. It can no longer stay at a distance from God. Our hearts are at a continual motion towards God. And what does that motion look like? Well, Romans 8. We ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we await for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. The heart and the life of the believer who knows Christ is continually longing to know Him more. Now, this is a great place to measure our relationship. My friends, is there a groaning in you to know more of Christ? Have you experienced His greatness, who He is, and you long to know more of it? To worship Christ? And if not, maybe that's not where you are right now as a believer... I want to just close with these last thoughts. Grace from Christ and intimate knowledge of Christ go hand in hand. 2 Peter 1.3 His divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. How? Through a knowledge of Him who called us. To grow in the grace of Christ, you must commit yourself to grow in an intimate knowing of Christ. So, you want to grow, you find your hearts hard towards other people when they fail, and you want to grow in compassion. You want to grow for love for others. You want to grow in peace when there's turbulent waters in your life rather than fear. You want to grow with patience. All are graces that will not grow until you commit to knowing Christ more. And as you know Him, spend time with Him, freedom from God will come. Not perfection, but life transformation. So, how do you parent better? How do you love your wife or husband more? How do you have victory over your addictions, the things that you look at on the computer? You have a commitment to pursue relationally, intimately knowing and spending time with Jesus and worship through the windows that we talked about last week. If it is seeing and knowing Him which frees us from sin and transforms us in heaven, then it is seeing and knowing Him which transforms you now. So let's close with this. I want to encourage you to study the revelation of God, of the glory of Christ in the Scriptures extensively and intensively. John 5.39 says this, Search the Scriptures, for they are that which testify of Me. Jesus tells you, search the Scriptures, because they testify of Me. That's the primary place you're going to experience My glory, My greatness, who I am, and be changed. Search the Scriptures extensively, my friends. Be that explorer who goes deep, who runs through the land seeing everything that is there. Read the Scriptures from cover to cover. Search them extensively. But don't just do that. Search the Scripture for the glory, the greatness of God intensively. That means stop and smell the flowers. Right, Take a verse, take a chapter, and meditate on it. Chew on it. Saturate yourself with it. Pray it to the Lord. God, how does this apply to me and my life? And my addictions, the things I struggle with. God, let me know that Your grace is sufficient for me when I feel so condemned right now. Intensively, taking time with the small bits of Scripture to taste and see And know that God is good. And as you study the Word extensively, and as you study the Word intensively, you will see more of the glory and the greatness of who your Savior is. And as you do that, your life by faith, looking for Him in the Word and the Spirit, will be changed. Not perfect, but changed. Father, thank You so much. And um, thank You, Lord, for that you didn't just save us and set us out in some mission and say, okay, go do this alone.